I watched him jump up on that. And I thought, I think I can do that. And then when I got up, I thought, but I'm not going to try. <laughs> got to know your limitations. But it does make for a comedic thing to fall. I've seen preachers do it. Twice. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. I enjoyed our assembly last night tremendously. And I hope and pray we got off to a good start. But I'm not quite done with that thought that I was into last night. And I want to deliver a lesson this evening that I entitled Keeping the Fire Burning Once We Get It Started. I've got some more material that I'll share with you that will touch upon how we start that fire in other people. But right now I want to talk about that fire in us. There is a text in the book of Acts chapter 28, way on the other end of where I was preaching from. And very quickly, Paul is on Malta, the island, after the shipwreck. And when you study Paul's life, the sacrifices that he made for the cause of Christ, his sacrifices were real and deadly. They weren't just mental states of anguish. He had that. Travel, fear, Danger, hunger, beaten, persecuted. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been one of the original speakers of the word in a time when you were considered to be the reigning atheists of the day? Because everybody believed in polytheism. They believed in multitudes of gods. And here comes this man that says, no, there is Jehovah in heaven. He has a son, and there's a Holy Spirit, and besides that, there's none other. And he wrote epistles and letters that clearly stated that while we believe that there is one God, and this is what drives our faith and our action, many people have not that knowledge. And there are men out there, he said, you need to pray for us because there are men and people out there that will oppose this teaching with all their hearts. And let me tell you, we've seen a resurgence of that in our country. As more and more people in our country move in the direction of paganism, more and more people are very antagonistic toward Christianity. And you need to understand that's the way it always will be. But before I get into all of that, Paul lands on this island, and they escaped and made it. And it's just a very simple little story. And the natives, it says in verse 2 of Acts 28, showed us unusual kindness, and I love this, they kindled a fire. And they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Last night, I couldn't help but think, I hope it doesn't just pour down rain and chill everybody out. But, you know, we could have kindled a fire, I guess. We had those big heaters. But they kindled a fire. And do you notice what it says? Paul, Paul, now this great apostle, gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. And a viper came up because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, I, I could say a lot about this text, about, about how to keep the fire going just from this text. Barbaric people being kind to a man that's a preacher of the word and a bunch of strangers that they didn't know and opens up a door for him to preach to a bunch of people that need to hear the word of God. I know some big old rough boys that will stand up for the Lord, but when you first meet them, and first, when I first met some of them, they were quite formidable and terrifying in the way they lived. But when they become Christians, they become soldiers of the Lord. Men that begin to develop. And you could see someday that fire. And I didn't tell you all this last night. But when I get up to preach, thinking what I thought about Acts chapter 2, I look out and I see fire. I see little tongues of fire over people, especially the people that I know that love the Lord and want to do good for the Lord. And I realize that that word that flows out of them is going to change the world if the world will listen. But I also remember that the Bible said, when my Messiah came to this earth, my Christ, I always thought this was strange language in Isaiah 53 verse 1, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now watch. 
For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. In other words, over there it was raining, heavy wet rain and the fire was built. Over here it's dry and our Lord said, you know what I'm going to tell you? Wet or dry, let me tell you, sometimes it's hard to be the fire. You can be in the green wood of your life and have everything going in your business world and, and your children at home and safe and it's hard to be the fire. You can be persecuted and going through all kinds of troubles. It's hard to be the fire. It can be hard to light and keep the spiritual fire going. But can I tell you something? The Lord would have amened our lesson last night. Because he said something in the book of Luke in chapter 12. That leads me to believe that in verse 49. He said, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I'll tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. And you need to ask yourself the question, why? Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is this all about? He's talking about on the home front and on a very personal level that there would be intimate conflict that would occur because of faith that some would have in Christ and believe in the, the message and others would not have that faith. And yet too many times I think in our lives we find it easy to say, you know what, the conflict is just too hard. The difficulties are too deep. I would rather have peace than I would rather set the fire and bring salvation into this family. Can I ask you something? Today, 2,000 years after all this information was delivered, whose job is it to keep the fire going? It's us. It's us. And the accelerant that we use is the gospel. And I know that's a hard picture for us to accept, but the Lord, the Lord said, look, I've got to go through some hard things, but when it's over, I'm going to send a fire on the earth. I didn't make that up. I read it to you. And I think sometimes we miss these images. We, we don't think about these images. We don't understand that we cannot become the people that grow weary and sharing and sowing and doing good because we need to reap if we are what? When will we reap? When we are faithful. And I know what the word faithful means. Somebody said it means being a Christian. Yeah, it does, but it means more than that. It means being trustworthy with the stewardship that God has given you. It means understanding how precious this word is. Now the first century church, as we saw last night, they focused on the person of Christ. They prioritized the words that he had spoken the words of God, they understood and, and, and practiced prayer. And they stressed that everyone had ministry. Everyone had work to do. But now I'm going to ask an honest question. If that fire is flickering in your life, your personal life as a child of God, or in the church, wherever it is you worship, why is that so? I have seen churches that barely were keeping house. It got to where, I've been in places where it got to where going to that place was depressing. No challenge. No education in Scripture. It almost seemed like people came in and Wanted to figure out how fast can we get this over with and get on with our real lives. Burnout, for most part, I will tell you this, starts at your house. Don't blame the church. Flame out starts at home. And then we carry it with us to the church house.
Conversely, worship starts at home. And we carry it to the church. Yes, I believe people should come in and their hearts already be full of worship to God, full of praise to God, full of the power of what we're talking about when they walk in. And when somebody says, well, I've come here for you to give me the ability to do this, then you've missed the whole point. I will say this up front, that what has never flamed cannot go out. What has never caught fire cannot go out. I'm actually speaking to people that I want you to think, was there a time in my life that I was on fire? How many of us remember when we first become a Christian? I do. What do you think I knew? Very little. What I knew is that Jesus is the Son of God, and I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew His blood upon the cross was that which gave me the hope and the opportunity to have redemption of my sins. And when I finally stood up and confessed that and went into the waters of baptism and came out, I didn't know any more than I did when I went in. But the very next week I thought, you know what I need to do? I need to go visit some of our brethren that are real weak and nominal and, and I need to go try to, try to encourage them. And I went to this first place and I sat down with this man. Good man, nice man. He'd give you about an hour a week is all he'd give you in assembly. And I said, Uncle Dud, that's his name. Why is it you don't come to church? And here's what he told me. Ray, he said, oh look. He said, I work eight hours a day. I work ten. Five days a week, I work six. I think the Lord knows I need some time to recoup from all that hard work. It was a a depressing visit because I realized this man's definition of spirituality and what I didn't know at that point, all I had was zeal. But instead of me being able to infuse him with the desire to do better, guess what he did to me? He confused me. And I could feel the flame flicker. And what happens when you first come into the church, and I want to be honest with you all, my my transition into the church and into Christ was one where I went from a viewpoint that what an assembly like this would be about was absolutely pointless to me. Drive by a church and I'd see, I'd see the asphalt and I'd see the building and all that and I'd think, waste of money. And I'm not giving my Sunday. And I've got to be honest with you, the reason I started coming to a church happened to be because there was a girl there I really liked. And her daddy wouldn't let me go anywhere around her unless it was at church. That's all right. So I sat there, did my best to get her to talk to me. And she, she would let me know, shh. Preacher's preaching. Shh. So I watched the preacher. And then I made a fatal mistake. Guess what it was? I got to listening. And I got to asking questions. First to my mama. And she couldn't answer me. And suddenly I realized I was a sinner. I, I began to realize this from the Word. That's why I told you it's the Word that, that creates faith. And when I obeyed that gospel, I I made another great mistake. You know what it was? I thought the church was a perfect group of people. I never saw anybody repenting of sin. I never saw anybody talking about their problems. Matter of fact, didn't see them talk about too much about their successes and their blessings. And then the first time I saw a blow up in the church, do you realize how that backed me up? If it hadn't been for my father-in-law who sat me down and explained to me these things happen and you keep your eyes on the Lord, my fire would have gone out. But it didn't. And then one day it hit me. The church is problematic. The church has a purpose. And what is that purpose? To reach out with that truth and convert as many people as we can to Christ. But also at the same time to edify and protect what's there and build up, and keep the fire going. That's why the Bible tells us to consider one another to provoke or stir up unto love and good works. 
And when I run into these people that tell me I don't need church, I realize what they're saying. They're saying that when it comes to having the fire that came down from heaven, they really don't want that. Well, as I thought about this, I thought, okay, I see the symptoms around me. I see the spiritual fatigue and the exhaustion. And I see people that are washed up and washed out. And I see the conviction faltering and the faith weakening. And people missing for trivial reasons and knowledge decaying. And I see people that begin to disappoint the Lord and don't care that they're disappointing the body of Christ. And they think it's all about assembly. They think Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembly. They think it's about assembly. It's about something deeper than that. That's just a symptom. It's about a heart that is willing to leave people that need to be brought to Christ, even the brethren that need to be strengthened, willing to leave them in a lurch without their help. Look, all of us have brought something here, and God knows in every single one of us you have a power, and he wants it, and I need it. And the causes for this are just usually letting the temporal life dominate the spiritual. Or maybe we've got pain, we've got sadness, we've lost somebody, and we just get down and get depressed, and we let that dominate the spiritual. Y'all want to know who your worst friend is? Somebody says, it's the devil. No. Devil can't really bother you if you've got faith. I mean, you can resist him, and he's got to leave. But the worst friend that you have is that carnal man or woman that's always residing in there, always whispering in your ear, wanting to tell you, you don't have to do this. You've done enough. You went to church Sunday. It's that carnal person you are that wants to talk to you. And what happens, we begin to take our eyes off the Lord, the one that is the central focus of this whole business. As the writer said in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, not only the sin, but weight, which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher by faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I take my eyes off my Lord and I no longer see that fire and I no longer hear that wind and I no longer study those words, I will lose my immunity to my battle fatigue. I will lose my immunity to zeal. I won't have my zeal. Have you lost your immunity? I've learned something about the devil. He will inoculate you with enough dead religion to keep you from having the real thing. That's all he wants to do to you. And you will belong to him and won't even realize it. I don't want this to happen to you. Let me ask you something. A lot of you have children in here, and that's a blessing. Many churches now, I was just talking to a brother as I was driving down here on the phone, and, and we were talking about churches that are disappearing. And what's happened in a lot of congregations, especially rural areas, you've, you've got a lot of young people that's moved away and gone into congregations that are in the cities because they had to go get jobs, and we understand that. But churches got old, and then all at once... People die. All at once a generation leaves and there's nothing left to support the work. And it's a terrible thing. But when you look around and see young people and young couples and people that are working to bring their children up, you realize the fight is still on. But I'm going to tell you something. The fire goes out at the house. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians 4 for just a moment? And I want to read a few verses that will set the stage for some of these comments I want to make. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, down through about verse 6 for right now. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. In other words, we don't let the fire go out. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, 
not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. I, I, if you look at your home right now, and don't worry about the church at this point, look at your home. Are you in a home that needs a renewed awareness of the job that God has given you to do on this planet and your family? God gives us all a job. I tell young men that have wives and children, you have a church. You're the preacher. You're to lead your family, your children to Christ first and foremost. We made a great mistake in the church about 40, 50 years ago or maybe longer. We began to farm the work of the church out to institutions around us. Now don't think this is going to turn into one of those lessons, but I'm going to tell you what the problem was. Why do you think we hired institutions years ago and split churches up? Because we were already doing it in the church. We were practicing the sin of it as a Corbin. I'll read Mark 7 sometime just to let your, your mind know the truth. They would take money or gifts that they were supposed to use to take care of their families and they would give it to the priest and they would say, it is Corbin, you don't have to take care of your parents. And they took that little bit of money, institutionalized the temple and denied a personal family obligation. And I'm going to tell you what I saw in the church when I was a young man. I saw people putting their dollar bill in, hiring their preachers, getting the Bible class teachers, and the only person that was supposed to really teach their children were the preachers and the Bible class teachers. They were paying somebody to do it. They were not doing it at home. No wonder we began to develop congregations that sent the work other places. We were already sending it. We're institutionalizing our own congregations. I have learned that we have a service or a ministry in the home that has no retirement to it. I have learned that the great commission that God has given us is a family business. Do you all remember the days, I know I do as a child, when you lived on a farm and it was a family business? You know what that meant? There wasn't anybody laying in the bed. There's a verse that says it's high time to wake out of sleep. Mama used to say that. Daddy used to say that. Because you were going to go out and do something. Because it's a family business. Do you not realize that the sharing of the gospel and the living as a Christian is a family business? Just exactly what Jesus said when he said, Did you not know I must be about what? My father's what? Business. The word literally means things. Moms and dads and children must have this intent desire to want to grow in Christ and develop in Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Now I know Paul's talking about the apostles here, but he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, he still pleads even through us as we teach the word. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're in, we're in the, the job of reconciling. We're in the job of studying and converting. We're in the job of, of carrying on this flame that the Lord set here on Pentecost. But you know why we don't do it sometimes? We forget what we've received. Go back over there for just a minute and, and look at that verse again. He said, therefore we, we have... This ministry, as we have received what? What is it that he said we have received? As we have received what? Mercy. Mercy. I did a funeral one time for a gentleman that was one of the highest law officers in our community. And he was shot to death in his home. Very confused man killed him. 
There was a gunfight in his home as he protected his wife and his children. And he died. But he stopped this man from killing his wife and his children. And he was my friend. One day we were sitting talking. And he said, Ray, he was a member of the body of Christ. He said, justice is an incredibly important thing in this world. And he said, and I believe in mercy. I said, I believe in mercy for someone that understands justice. But he said, but the problem is far too many of those people that commit crimes do not understand justice, nor do they appreciate it. And therefore, they never understand the point of mercy. They just think it's a freebie that allows them back into the world to do as they please. Is that how we view God's mercy? Did you deserve it? I did not deserve it. The scripture tells us that when we walked according to the course of this world and we were by nature children of wrath, meaning by the habit of our lives, we were children of wrath before the living God. This was going to end bad for us, except a few verses down it said, but God who is rich in his mercy and his love and his kindness. That's why the Bible says by grace are you saved. And it just kills me when some people take that word grace and create this license picture of religion. And they create this idea that just means you can live in any sin you want to and you're going to go to heaven. And that violates the very principle of grace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, because of grace I work more abundantly harder than all the rest of the apostles. Why? Because Paul thought he was the chiefest of sinners. And for those that are forgiven much, they learn to do what? Love much. But the problem is too many times we don't pay attention to what we have received. One of my granddaughters, and she's a beautiful young lady, sweet as she can be, a good little girl. She'll be 15 in January. Oh, yeah. She can wrap me around her finger when she wants to. She's got skills. But when she was a little bitty girl, we had a meeting going on and we took the preacher out to eat. We'd had service that morning for a couple hours and we were going to break for a couple hours and go get a bite to eat and then come back and have a big singing and then come back and have another, another preaching service. And she was already wore out with the first part of it. And we're sitting there eating. And she leaned over and said, Paul, what are we going to do after we get done eating? She said, let me think. I said, well, we're going to go back out there. and We're going to have a big singing. And I said, this man's going to get back up. He's sitting right next to me. And he's going to get back up and preach another great lesson for us. I don't want to go. She said, I'm tired. She said, could you just take me and my home and, and let us stay at the house? Oh no, Abby. Of course, preacher's looking at me. He starts gouging me like, what are you going to say? Now, come on, I'm going to see how you handle this. Come on, let's see what you do. And I leaned over and I said, no, Abby, no. I said, I said no, we got to go out and we're going to go back out to the church and please Jesus. And you know what she said to me? Well, you go back out there and you please Jesus. I'd like to go back to the house. <laughs> but here's the point I want to make on that. I understood sacrifice because I understood mercy. She's an innocent child that's never, at that time, had never felt the conviction of her sins. She had not been trained yet to understand that when we have this knowledge, we will renounce the hidden things of shame. We will not walk in craftiness. We're not going to play games with God. We won't handle the word of God deceitfully to try to find a loophole or a way out. He said, he said but it's the manifestation of the truth. We're going to tell the truth of God's word. We're going to commend ourselves to every man's conscience. And that brings me to another point. If you want the fire to be strong in your home, you're going to have to deal with your conscience on a lot of this. A renewed awareness of the need of a conscience that's not seared as with a, a hot iron. And you say, well, what do you mean? See, we always think about some really magnificently terrible sin that does that to us. One of my friends and a good preacher, Keith Thompson, he had the uh, atrial fib and they had to go and do the ablation of the heart and burn. 
And he said, they're going to sear my heart with a hard iron. I said, but it'll fix you. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? It's just all these little things that we do and that we tolerate, that, that, we, that we, we practice, these little things. I'll just give you some illustrations. How many of y'all are guilty of secret guilt? You know there's things you're not doing right in your life right now. Not big things. Um, over in 1 John chapter 3, I want to read you something about the heart. It says in verse 19, By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now I want my heart assured. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. By the way, I want to give you a little tip. One of the things I love about Scripture, it's where it makes that statement that there will come a time when everything that's been said in secret, and I believe everything thought in secret, will be exposed. I'm so proud of that. I'm glad of that. You say, are you that perfect? No. No, I've thought some things I shouldn't have thought, and I've said some things I shouldn't have said. And some of it I said behind people's backs. But I am so glad that God knows my heart. Because when I hit my knees and I ask His forgiveness, He heard me. And He's also going to tell people about that. I've tried to fix things. I've done learn. Sometimes when you hurt a man or you hurt a brother or a sister and you do it willfully and without conscience, it's like a fortress. They're, they're no longer going to let you in again. And just because they turn their back on you doesn't fix your conscience. The only thing that can fix it is when you straighten things up with the Lord. But I want to read you some more over here. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And watch this. And love one another as He gave us commandment. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt a burnout in your soul because you were harboring secret guilt? That dampens the fire. I'll show you how it works. You get one of your brothers or sisters that's sick in the hospital and you know you ought to go see them and you may be really good at that. Right now it's hard to do it because of the COVID. I know. But back when we had free access into the hospitals, I have missed visits. And then I'd get embarrassed that I hadn't been there. And then I would avoid the visit because I didn't want to give explanation why I hadn't been there. And boy, that fire is going out, isn't it? Or you miss a church service with no good reason. And you dread showing back up when everybody asks you where, you, where were you? And you don't want to tell them where you were. It's awful hard to go back, isn't it? And the fire flickers. You're asked to teach a Bible class. And it involves your particular sin. And you're ashamed to talk about it. And the fire flickers. What is pure religion? Undefiled before God the Father is what? To go check on the fatherless and the widows. And what else? To keep oneself unspotted from the things of this world. And that means when you have committed that sin, what do you do? You ask God to forgive you. You clear your conscience or you cannot hold the fire. It worries me that so many in the church today feel not capable of reaching out with simplicity to their neighbors with the gospel because they realize there are things I need to fix myself. How, how do I have the right? Look, I'm honest with you. I don't have the right to be up here. There's nobody gets in the pulpit that just has a perfect right to be there. If we're here, we're here because of the authority of Christ. And if we teach the truth of the Word of God and we tell the truth about the Word of God, it's His authority that's flowing from this pulpit. It's not my perfection. 
But you know who sees the imperfection of the preacher? Are you? It's these kids. The fire went out in a young man about 60, 70 miles from here and I never could light it back up again. But can I tell you why the fire went out? His daddy was a zealous man but without knowledge and compassion. His granddaddy was a sweet man, kind, would sacrifice everything he had for his family, but he was not a bona fide Christian. The daddy would rant and rave. The daddy held the boy to perfection and punished him many times in a very untoward way. And the grandpa, who was not a Christian, would just love that child. And finally one day that boy said, if my daddy is going to heaven and my grandpa is going to hell, he said, then I'll just go with my grandpa. Now, I know that's a bit depressing, and I'm sorry for that. But it sets up this next point really good. <laughs> for the fire to stay lit in our homes and stay lit even in the church because we bring it with us, we have to have a renewed awareness of our need to dwell on the possibility of victory and not defeat. Would you, would you go back to 2 Corinthians 4? And I want to start with verse 7, and I want to read down through verse 18. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, I know what Paul's talking about as an apostle. I realize that. But I also know there's an analogy here I want you to get. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And you know what? In these last, since, since March, I think all of us have been here. You know, what is the right thing to do? Where is the right place to go? How is the right way to behave when I get there? And I'm not talking about doing evil, wicked things. I'm just talking about doing the things we used to do that now could be dangerous for us. You know, and he said, we've got a lot of thoughts on our mind. And he said, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Let me just stop right there. I'll save those other two verses. We need to dwell on the positive power that we have to accomplish. Now look, that text is saying the treasure is in earthen vessels. Do you think Paul felt perfectly strong in his physical body? Well, they said his, his presence is contemptible. In this room, all of us are in, a, in an earthen vessel. And let me tell you, it's fragile. And those of you who don't know what I mean, you blink your eyes about three times in about 60, 70 years, you're going to know exactly what I mean. That's why I didn't jump up here. I'm glad you still can. We have to credit that if we achieve anything on this earth, we achieve it because it's God working in us. If we're able to wake up and speak up, and one fellow said, I loved it, wrote it down, preach up, pray up, never back up, shut up, or give up, it's all because the Lord gave that to us. I love that. The Lord helped us with that. But I want to show you something that I found in this text that really hit me. We need to remember that if we give up, who's going to be affected? A preacher that was a mentor to me 
He said, be careful, Ray. I said, why? He said, I'm glad you're on our side. He said, because if you weren't, he said, it would be hard to get anything done here. And that made me think about influence and reputation and what I'm trying to do as a child of God. And I noticed in that text, I noticed in that text that he said, in in spite of all this, he said this, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And he said, we do this for your sakes, verse 15, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God Your children will be blessed by your service to God. They may, not, they may not want you to please Jesus that Sunday. But they will look back and realize, my daddy, my mama, my grandpa, all these, these people that love the Lord out here, they're going to give their best to serve Him. And they're going to remember that. And that's going to be an important thing to them. Am I causing that? My magnetic personality is doing this. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) But zeal provokes. Zeal creates fire in other people. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2, he said, I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. It doesn't mean you have to get up and give fancy speeches. But just the fact that you're on fire for the Lord, that you love the Lord, that you're doing your best to make your home a place where the Lord is worshipped. And you carry that to the church assembly and you've got children that love the Lord. It impacts the home, the church, the world. But I'm also going to say this. First of all, who's a Christian because you just didn't give up? I know some ladies that didn't give up. For years, they led the spiritual battle in their homes. And finally, finally, those old hard-headed men give up and come to the Lord. And they would have a few years of peace and joy and strength, but they didn't give up. But who's going to be hurt if you give up? Who's going to fall by the wayside if you don't provide the Timothy heritage that he had? Faith and grandma and mama. And even as I say that, I say that with trepidation because I don't want a child's faith simply to be the faith of grandma and mama. I want it to be their own faith. I can remember when I was at home, a little, little felt. My mother was a very smart lady, and she was not a Christian until years after I become one. But I'll tell you what she would do. She had an old rocking chair, and there was always two or three youngins. There was 12 of us before it was over with. And she would get in that old rocking chair no television, kind of poor, and she'd rock, hold a child and hold a Bible and read the Word of God to us. And did we understand it? No. But there was a voice. If you'd asked me when I was about five years old, what did God sound like? I thought He sounded like a woman with this beautiful voice. And when I would be confused about something, she wouldn't just feed a line to me. She would ask me questions and lead my mind with my own answers to understand what she had read or what my question was about. And she taught me how to critically study before I ever got to school. And you know what her words were? If you can read and you can think You can do anything in the world that you need to do. And maybe that's why still to this day 
I'd rather have a book in my hand than anything else when it comes to my mind training. Let me conclude this. If the fire goes out in your life, there is some really good news. Jesus has a special appeal for those in whom the fire has burned out. Well, he said it this way. Come to me. All you that labor are heavy laden. You're tired. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am lowly or gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think even among well-meaning Christians, sometimes we... We go so hard in our spiritual lives and face so many battles that we just finally wear out. We don't realize we need some more Jesus. We need Christ. Did you ever get a ticket for going too slow on on the road? I didn't get a ticket, but I got pulled over once. And I always thought that was so funny. I was going down. There was a young couple right over there. I was going down to where they worship to, to teach a class and It was a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. And I was just driving along real slow and just looking at everything. You know, like a good old country boy, I was turkey necking at the cows and the barns. And and I seen a tractor over there. I was driving along. I looked up in my rear view mirror just after I turned off on Highway 953. And woo, woo, I thought, well, who's he after? So I pulled over, and he pulled right in behind me. He got out, and he come walking up. He stopped, and he looked down in the car. Don't you love them chin straps they got on those hats? Because you can see right at their faces in there. That's that big chin strap. And he said, are you polluted? I said, no. I said, why would you think I was polluted? He said, because you're driving so slow. He said, everybody else speeding like a maniac out there. Here you come. He said, I knew you just had to be drunk. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to teach Bible class. See you, sir. But by that time, four or five cars had gone by and seen me sitting there with that police officer. (laughs) And you know what I learned? I'm going to tell you something. You don't have cruise-matic on your car or a cruise control on your car because you drive too slow. You have it because you go too fast. And what I am trying to promote in this lesson tonight is not some manic, depressive zeal for Jesus. I've met people that had that. One minute they were hot and fiery, the next minute they were depressed and, and gone, and most of the time they went crazy. But I am trying to tell you Set your sights on a goal. Pace yourself. And when you see the fire begin to flicker, you get help. You study, you pray, you begin to talk to your brothers and sisters. You do whatever it takes to keep that fire burning. That's what my daddy-in-law told me. He said, you get a mentor, Ray. You find somebody that's been across the road and that's still going good and strong and you learn from that person. I don't care if they're the best speaker out there. You find somebody that will give you good information especially when you need it. Our children need it right now. Big time. They've got to know how much the Lord loves them. Matter of fact, if I recall right, the Lord told you and I that unless we become as little children, we can't even see the kingdom of heaven. He said, suffer not the little ones to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I have learned more watching children many times than I have watching their parents. But I also learned this. The fire will go out, even in a child, if they don't see the flicker in your eyes. If you're in this room and you're not a Christian, 
We beg you. Think about who Jesus is and think about what he's offering you. And realize it's not a life of ease. Don't become a Christian and then start looking at nominal Christians and saying, that's what it's about. Look at the ones that love the Lord and show it. And set yourself with them. That'll do two things. Number one, it'll put you with some good people. Number two, when all the rest of the folks sitting around suddenly realize, ain't nobody coming over here and talking to me. Ain't nobody over here sitting with me. They might figure out why. You believe in this Christ, but, but I'm going to tell you, it's not an easy deal because you've got to have the courage to confess Him. The faith that's in you, you've got to confess it. And I think that word needs to be expanded a little bit more than just the idea, well, I said something with my mouth, that, that's important. But that word homologio is the idea that I agree with this information and I will live my life under that confession, under that agreement. Everything in my life will be based on that confession. And I'll be baptized. Why? What did Jesus say to do? And why does he want us to do that? And why is it necessary for me to be baptized? And again, I want to tell you, when you believe in Christ, I don't have to really preach a big long sermon to you about it because the Ethiopian eunuch said this, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? People that really believe want to do what he said. And you can't keep them out of the water. That lady talked to me. She said, do, would you baptize in the creek? I said, anywhere you want to go. If it's a mud hole in the side of the road, and you can, I can get you under it. We'll go in there. And, and what, I, what I realized was she's, she will go anywhere today to do this. We didn't make an appointment. We did it. That young man back right over there, you might, look, I baptized him in the Cumberland River. And it was cold. He's tall. And I was standing below him in the river, and I, I took about two more steps. I was going to be gone. And I begged him when we got out there. I said, Abel, do not push when you go back. <laughs> and I told him, I want a rope tied to a tree up there the next time we do this, tied around my leg. I do not want to go floating down that river. But we, I would go in there any time they wanted to go. And then spend your life protecting your fire. I used to think of the romantic thing back in the olden days. They'd get a fire going and many times they would put it inside of some sort of container and you had a firekeeper. And that person was to carry that and keep feeding that and keep that fire so when they sat down for the next camp, they could light from it. Keep your fire. Stand with the Lord. And go to heaven. Let's stand up and sing.